All right, so uh, welcome to the Applied Channel Theory podcast here. We're continuing our discussions between various apprentices of Dr. Wang Juyi. And I'm honored and excited here today to have a chance to talk to Mei Li, who is in Maui, Hawaii, where she has a private practice. And she uh, spent quite a bit of time living in Beijing and doing other things, studying with Dr. Wang, amongst other things. So uh, hello, Mei Li, and uh, welcome here to our discussions amongst each other. Hi, Jason, and thank you. And I'm very honored here to be speaking with you as well. Um, I, I'm actually on Oahu, not Maui. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm in Hawaii. <laughs> no problem. The total non-Hawaiian mistake to get the islands mixed up. That's okay. So also, uh, we were talking a bit about, you know, what we would do here for this podcast. And I think it's really important maybe for anyone who's been listening to these podcasts to understand that we're kind of like all of the apprentices of Dr. Wong are kind of taking turns talking to each other. And I would like, first of all, for May Leader to kind of describe, you know, we'll talk a bit about just how she met Dr. Wong in the course of your study and experience with Wang Juyi. Sure. Yeah. So it's kind of a little bit of a long story, but I'll try to keep it um, fairly short. So um, I graduated from Pacific College of Oriental Medicine in New York City, um, where I met Yafim, because he was my teacher in um, points class. I think it was acupoints four or something in the orthopedic class. And um, so, of course, like Yafim, I thought he was quite awesome. And I really looked up to him during my time at PCOM. And one day he mentioned um, studying, um, taking some students to China with him to Beijing to study with Dr. Wang and I and I'm kind of like put that what in the year was this roughly Mei Li what, roughly what year are we talking this was um 2003 it was like towards the end of my studies um I heard that he was taking a group of students to Beijing to study with Dr. Wang okay and yeah and, and I, I was kind of interested but I didn't have the money to go so I kind of put that in the back of my mind, like someday, maybe someday, if he does it again, this trip, then maybe I'll have the money to go. And, um, but I had a friend um, at the school who actually went on the trip with Yafin, and she came back saying, wow, it was so awesome. We learned so many um, new techniques on um, diagnostic techniques that involved a lot of touching and palpation. And it got me really interested. And then, um, so luck would have it, we'll fast forward to 2000 and, geez, what was this, 2008? When uh -huh. I came back to uh, Beijing to, uh, to work for People's Medical Publishing House, PMPH. So you had that job before you moved to Beijing. You kind of applied for it and you were going to be an editor for this uh, publication of Chinese medicine text, right? Exactly. So I was first there in 2006 for about a year, um, didn't really care for the job because it was, they were just overworking us. And I, and I left and I went to Southern China and I was um, studying Tai Chi with my teacher there. And I was studying with, um, I was observing a, a clinic of another acupuncturist there. And then, um, and then I, I decided to go back to Beijing and see what, you know, what would happen if I went back and work there again, maybe things would be different. And so, yeah, so 2008, I returned to Beijing. 
and then luck would have it. Um, Michael Fitzgerald was also working there. Yeah. Um, also studied with uh, with Dr. Wang for a while, and um, he mentioned, "Hey, you know, I I study with uh, Dr. Wang Ji a couple of times a week. You want to join us?" You know, I was like, "Oh, this is the same Dr. Wang," and it just really hit me, like, "Wow, this is the same Dr. Wang that Yefim had mentioned." Right. So, yeah. So I, you know, so um, lo and behold, I started studying uh, with Dr. Wang in 2009. Yeah, it took me that long to finally find a way with PMPH to allow me to study a couple of times a week. Yes, to have the time. And then at that time, he was working, I think, in his hospital by the Junjirbolguan, right? Yes, yes. By the that military was, museum. Yes, that's where I first started um, observing with Dr. Wong, was there. And yeah, so... And then eventually, though, it became more and more part of what you were doing in Beijing, or you kind of kept both of those threads alive for a couple of years, or how did that then evolve? Well, I was a little bit mad at PNPH because when I first joined them in 2006, they promised me all sorts of things, including um, study opportunities, which never happened, which is one of the reasons why I left in the first place. Yeah. But the second time around, I decided I was going to take this, you know, take this in my own hands. And I just found a way to arrange time. So I mm -hmm. kind of just told my boss, hey, I'm going to disappear, you know, um, two mornings a week during the week. And then there, then there was also Saturday when Dr. Wang was open. And then I told my boss, I'm just going to make up the work on my own time. And then he was fine with that. <laughs> oh, cool. Great. Yeah. And so that was a period where certainly Dr. Wong had a pretty busy clinical schedule. You were seeing lots of patients in those years you were there, right? Yes, he was. He was. And I remember it was mostly Michael, myself, and John. John was always there. Yeah. 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 And then, um, and so you were there in Beijing for roughly how long? And then you moved to Hawaii. Uh, how long ago? Um, I moved from Beijing in 2012. Yeah, like a summer of 2012. I came to Hawaii around that time. And since then, you have a, a private practice there in Oahu, and uh, you have a kid, and that's probably the two things you do a lot with your life, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm trying to juggle everything. It's Yeah, it's been challenging, but <laughs> the older my kid gets, the easier it's getting. And of course, you're using applied channel theory as your primary approach to treating all your patients that you, you're there with, right? Yes. So there's more to talk. I want to hear more about your clinical work there and the, and the types of patients you're seeing. But one of the really interesting things you mentioned as we were kind of preparing for this was, you know, a great, we, we talked about what we like to do in our, in our talks together here, and we're going to do three of them, is, is really talk about some clinical application and case studies. And you suggested even beginning with a case about yourself. So maybe kind of tell us what your condition was and, you know, what you learned through his treatment of you. Sure. Yeah. So this was amazing to me because this was something that I suffered with for two years before I met Dr. Wong. Um, I had this this weird eczema on my left hand. Um, it, it, it started out really small um, and it started out as frostbite. Oh. So like, yeah, during a very cold winter in Beijing in 2006, I believe. Yeah. 2006 or seven. Um, I, I didn't have this habit of wearing gloves. I just never liked gloves. So I didn't wear a glove um, 
during this really cold winter and I was wearing this coat that I had bought in Beijing with metal zippers in the pockets. Yeah. So I would always be reaching into that po the pocket on the left hand side um, to grab my phone or whatever and it would scratch the back of my hand. Mm-hmm. Oh, zipper. Yeah, like a metal, like metal alloy zipper. I would always scratch my hand every time I reached into my pocket and during a cold winter. And so um, I, I'm also very allergic to metals. That's why I, I don't wear any metal jewelry. I can't wear any, anything, you know, okay. that's not um, pure gold or pure silver. So, so it was frostbite um, combined with this metal allergy that formed this terrible uh, oozing, itchy, red, scaly eczema on the back of my left hand. Like um, roughly like near which channel or point was it located? Yeah, good it question. Big, so big area? I was just getting to that. So oh, I'm sorry. Right, um, yeah, no yeah. problem. Yeah. It was right um, between, Pisse's level with between the middle and ring fingers. Uh -huh. So right off the bat, you can think of Shaoyang, but also like an, I guess between Shaoyang and Yangming almost. Yeah, yeah. This, this lesion started out small, but it would just grow and grow and this pus would come out and it would sometimes get painful just to even um, make a fist with my left hand. It was very painful. Wow. And itching all the time. And it was the kind of itch that like, it, it just made me very irritable. Like, yeah. It my heart. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We've all yeah, I've had those. Think <laughs> of the the saying in the classics that the itching belongs to the heart. <laughs> oh right. Yeah. Um, so it just went on and on, and uh, every winter it would get worse. But throughout the year, even you know, in the warmer months of the year, it was always kind of just there, even though it, you know it, it maybe looked like it receded a little bit, but there was always some vesicles that would break. And, and any time I drank any alcohol, any amount of alcohol, it would get worse. Yeah. Because I'm also allergic to alcohol. And you get really red easily and that would, it would all, a lot of the heat would go there, I guess. Yes. Yes. So all these toxins, you know, from the metal and from the alcohol, would just kind of combine and just kind of focus right there on my hand. Right. It's yeah. kind of like the pathogens seek the path of least resistance. So that's where it would, my, you know, on my channel was weak. Yeah. Because it was scraped by the metal and, and, and then also a lot of cold got into there with the frostbite. So um, Dr. Wang, it was amazing. He treated it in just three sessions. The problem was gone. Oh. And it never came back, even though I continued to live in Beijing until 2012. So Continue this to be in the cold for long after that. Yes. yes. So this was... Um, so. He treated me in, in October of 2009. And um, he said, oh yeah, it just looks like there's a lot of obstruction in the Shaoyang collateral vessels. Do you um, remember where he was palpating or some of the palpated things he found that helped him get that clue? Do you, do you remember that? Do you know what? He, he didn't even palpate me. He just looked at it. Looked at it, yeah. That was enough. And for him to say, hey, this is, there's something going on in the Shaoyang channel that has just kind of mushroomed into this you know, problem. So what he did was he needled um, the source point of the Shaoyang and the lower point of the Shaoyang. So we have um, uh, Yangshi and Waiguan, right? T TB four and five. 
Uh-huh. But then he also needled an extra point, which was right in the middle between uh, um, large intestine five and um, TB4. So, so say that again. Junction, Sorry. Middle. Okay. I think the the line broke up just a little bit. You said it's a point located between large intestine four. Large intestine five. Oh, large intestine five. And and Sanjiao four. Okay. Right yeah. there on the wrist still. Yes, on the wrist crease. And it was an extra point. And what oh. you had the name of that point. What was the name again? Sorry. It was called Zhong Quan. Zhong Quan, like middle, middle, uh, middle spring, spring or something? Yeah, like middle spring, I guess. Okay. Like extra point. And then he did some um, moxa. He had me do moxa um, on Zhong Quan and Yang Shi. So Sanjiao four. So two points right there on the wrist joint, essentially. You were putting, you were doing indirect moxa? Right. We just did uh, stick moxa. Mm-hmm. How long? Just for about 10, 15 minutes, which is the usual amount of time that he would have us do moxa on patients. Uh-huh. And the weirdest thing, which I, to this day, I regret not taking a picture of. Um, I should have taken a picture of what happened during the moxibustion. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Uh, right at the point, right at the area of the wrist where I was doing the moxa, there was this little like um, image, a red image of like a, you, you know, lotus roots where they cut them, you know, they slice them. Yeah, and have all the circles. And they tickle them, right. Yes. So it was an image of that <laughs> right on my wrist where I was doing moxa. Wow. During, yeah, every um, session of moxibustion that would appear. It was like, like you were a, seeing your law or something, seeing the like collaterals exactly. in your hand. That's what Dr. Wong said. He was like, wow, look at that. You can see the law over there. Oh, that's what he said. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. And um, I never, we never took a picture. This was before I had any smartphone with cameras, you know? Right. So I just regret not taking a picture of it. And so then backing up, so you did, you said it was three treatments. Was it like every other day or how long to get, how spread apart were those three? Um, it wasn't every day. Let me see. I, I think it was like once a week or once every other week. It wasn't every day that I remember. And so it was a, definitely an example of a very localized treatment, but still based on the idea of cold using the, the source point to warm and the low point to open the kind of nooks and crannies down into your hand. Right, exactly. So it was a very concentrated, specific spot on the channel. So he considered that a law, you know, part of, you know, the law, the collateral vessel. So this brings up a question I've often struggled with, and I, I'd love to hear your answer is, you know, of course, we hear like even from the beginning of, uh, of any kind of acupuncture program, this idea of combining you and law source, source and collateral points, sometimes mm -hmm. even called like ghost, or was it guest host pairing or something? Mm -hmm. I've always wondered, like, did you ever hear Dr. Wong describe like, would he want to pair this? How did he combine? describe his favorite way of combining source and collateral points would he this is an instance of him doing it on the same channel both on the Sanjiao channel but you right. know yeah what do you do you have a thought on that that's a good question I, I also wondered about it too and um, I don't remember exactly what he said in terms of preference but he said sometimes you can compare you, you can combine let's say the law of one channel and the collateral of the paired channel. 
and even vice like versa. Like the Biaoli, the internal external pair channels, right? And, Most commonly. And that's that's when that's when you clearly see there's <clears throat> there's a pathology that's affecting both the external and the internal um, pair channels. And then the great question is, which one, which channel do you choose, the source and which the law? Right, right. Yeah. That's, that's the million dollar question, I know. I, I've, and of course I've, the answer is probably what Yefim always says, well, it depends. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, but in this case, for example, he didn't use like, I don't know, pericardium seven, the source point of the yeah. pair, you know, drilling channel with that. Right, because clearly there was nothing wrong on that channel. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think it was. And have you taken ideas from this case on yourself? And are there like, do you continue to kind of think about this? Or is there like a kind of a clinical insight you've had with other patients because of this one case on yourself? Like, do you often do these local UN law on the same channel thing or anything you've taken? Yeah, definitely. I, this case, because, you know, I, I was just so blown away by it because in my mind, I guess from my um, education thus far, I, I, I never thought that such a simple approach would do it for something so nasty as what I had. I thought, you know, there would be more points involved that had to be needled and maybe more points that had to um, have moxibustion done on. And I was just the simplicity of it. You and, know? And, yeah, go on. Yeah. It was just amazing. So um, it, it led me to think more about law and the UN law pair, point pairing in my practice. And so sometimes I, I would use the UN law points for things, even things like um, back pain. And it would work well when the situation um, actually calls for it. So for instance, somebody with um, deficiency type low back pain, I would use, I, I use this quite often, kidney three and um, bladder 58. Okay, so there you're doing so internal and, external pairs, yeah. Right. Sometimes when I, I'm not thinking of those point of that point pair, and I start to use other approaches, sometimes it, it would get it wouldn't get to the root of the problem. The back pain would just keep coming back. But when I add those points, that seems to do it. That seems to take care of the problem for a longer span of time. That's so. It, it sounds like you're saying at least at this point in your in your work that you're. Uh, often combining, I guess, the source point of a yin channel with the lower point of a yang channel. Is that safe to say? Um, not, or is that yeah, too not broad always. of a statement? No, yeah, not always. It, it, I don't want to take yeah. the being quote away, but it depends, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this idea of combining fun. source law is definitely an old one in acupuncture. And so just also to be clear, when Dr. Wong treated you, is it the case that he just needled Sanjiao 5 and you did moxa on those other two points? Yes, yes. So he needled, um, but he also did needle, let's see. No, he needled um, all three points that I mentioned. He also needled Baxie. Mm. The Baxie points on the left hand. All between all, all your fingers there. Yes. Yeah. And he did that in all three treatments as well? Yes. Uh, so that was a really interesting case and a, and a general principle of combining source collateral points. I guess what we can think of from our discussion here is not only on the uh, you know internal external pair channels, but even on one single channel when it's kind of a single channel, relatively not deep issue. Is that how we could describe that? Yes, yes, exactly. 
Yeah. And, and do you, can you think, and I know I'm putting you on the spot, but of any like, uh, do you have like a, a, a situation where you often do combine source collateral on the same channel these days that you can think about? I'm trying to think of one too. Okay. Let me think about that on the same channel. Or a different way of combining source collateral points that you've just found to be effective. Doesn't have to be on the same channel. I've, I've, I just thought of a good idea I want to talk about briefly. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, actually, some people with um, TMJ syndrome, I yeah. will combine um, Hugu with Tianling. Oh, sorry, LI4 with Large intestine six. Yeah. Again, same channel, same side. And that mm -hmm. idea of kind of warming and opening the channel pathway up into the Yangming area and the jaw and face. Yes, and, and it actually would work well. Yeah. For, yeah. And that's one you've I mean, used a few times that you can say with, you know, with experience has been helpful. Yes, yes, it has been helpful. And I guess one thought just to kind of get into your thinking a little, like <clears throat> what are the situations where you would just use Pian Li instead of combining Hogu? In other words, where you just use the law point but not the source point with it? Um, I guess that's a tricky one because as we know, um, that's the command point for the face, right? So it kind of guides the treatment where you want it in a way too. It's, right, right. right. Yeah, maybe that's, that's what I was thinking. Maybe that's the best example. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's still a cool one. Yeah. Uh, one other one I would, I guess, throw out of, of source collateral thinking, but kind of expanding it a little bit that I've the last couple years been using. And mm -hmm. it's this idea of the two closing channels, Yang Ming and Zhou Yin, kind of showing up together. And I think we were even texting a bit about this concept where you like the two closing or completing channels, huh? They can mm -hmm. kind of get stuck together. And so I've been, in some cases, using a combination of liver three with stomach 40 as oh. well. Okay. For in a kind of way, it could be similar to the case you're describing even. And so, you know, there's some sort of issue in the head and face and jaw or lateral neck and the stomach channel area like sternocleidomastoid. Mm -hmm. And there's also this, you know, signs and symptoms, maybe the pulse or uh, changes on the liver channel as well that make you think of both Yin and Yangmin together with this kind of emotions going into the face and neck situation. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'll have this, to find that out. Yeah, source collaterals are so fascinating. You can kind of think of, I guess, linking channels in all kinds of ways by doing these two that have been paired together for so long. Yeah, and and going back to the question that you were asking earlier about, like, how do you know which law of which channel um, to choose and which UN or which, you know, which UN source point or which channel to choose? Um, right. That's really, that's a good question. And I'm thinking maybe it has to do with whichever channel is more deficient then you would choose the source point on, on that, that side. And then, the, and then the collateral point on the other channel. That's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, that gives you at least a starting place to conceptualize what you might already be doing anyway. Or, yeah, or you have to look at which um, collateral channel is more affected based on the symptoms. So... Right, if you're signing signs and symptoms of the law of that channel, it's more likely to be the one you choose the law point from. Yes, yeah. And then using the source point on the paired channel to support it. Yes, to kind of get underneath it, so to speak, is what I like to think and support, yeah. So this is, this is very difficult for me too. Like, um, I, I know that um, as students of applied channel theory, sometimes we get a little bit lost 
in thinking about how to formulate a diagnosis. And of course, that'll happen to everyone. And, and even, even to me, even nowadays, like, but when I think of stepping back and looking at the whole picture of the patient and just seeing, just asking myself, what do I see? What are the obvious signs? And just saying, okay, do I see deficiency? Do I see excess? Do I see both? Is there some kind of interplay between the excess and deficiency? And then just asking those simple questions sometimes will lead me to um, a good treatment approach. So yeah, I mean, looking at the person as a whole, even if their complaint is elbow pain, for example, you mean like stepping way back and just looking at this whole presentation. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes. So um, I actually want to talk about the gangrene case that I treated. Okay, should we? Maybe years we will, ago, um, what we'll do now is, uh, Maylee, is we'll, we'll kind of put an end to this short first podcast together okay. where we just did a, a discussion of, of, of UN law, and then we will encourage listeners to uh, tune in to the next time we're talking because, yes, you have a gangrene case. That's a good yeah. teaser for, uh, for next podcast. So uh, that okay. will be coming up next time. Thank you, Maylee. And uh, those of you listening, we'll be back next time. Okay.